Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. Presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And I am Archbishop Bob. As always, we are here to fill your life with Vampire the Masquerade books, going into the Wayback Machine, giving you a history lesson, and doing some book reviewing. Last week we did a, a like kind of a Q&A sort of thing. And uh, I think we're going to do one question this week because I think it's going to it's going to fill up a pretty hefty amount of time. Um, so I'll read it off. It is uh, from a, a fan named Miles. Miles says, greetings from California. My name is Miles. I'm 19. and I want to let you guys know that I've been loving your podcast. Awesome. Thank you. I've always been interested in Vampire the Masquerade, the role playing game, ever since I played the video game a few years back. I've been storytelling a small tabletop game for two of my buddies, and it's been a blast. It's been going well so far, introducing the guys to the city, Portland. I have a decent amount of experience running a game thanks to Dungeons and Dragons, but I'm starting to wonder if I'm storytelling right because at times I feel like I'm just coming up with quests for them each week. From what I've gathered, it's supposed to be more about intrigue and clan dynamics. I have a story laid out about a power grab for the princedom. It's just felt hard to implement without feeling like I'm forcing it into their nights. I was wondering if you guys might have any advice for a burgeoning storyteller. I know you're busy guys, and if you don't have time to get into it, I completely understand. I just figured if I was going to send you guys an email, I might as well get it out. Well, thank you for that. We appreciate it. Right, absolutely. Regardless, if you're going to take anything away from this email, then know your podcast has been fun, informative, and I look forward to it every week. P.S. I don't say this lightly because it feels cliche, but goddamn, I wish I was around during the 90s because you guys make LARP sound awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you, Miles. I definitely appreciate that. Um, As far as uh, your question is concerned storytelling and making it seem quest-like i definitely think we can tackle this uh, it's beyond tackling and miles i think quintessentially if you have the introspection to sit back and go am i just kind of firing these off you know episode to episode you're doing great you're a great storyteller for recognizing it and catching it because if it seems that way to you it's gonna seem that way to the players for sure so you're at a critical point you can say hey my D experience has taught me one type of way And that way was details, book filled with all the minutiae ironed out, you know, firing with a safety net. You know, hey, guys, the book always says this. This is why I could kill the dragon. I have the tools to do it. White Wolf shatters that. And you're right. It's definitely a different neck of the woods. Is it always based on intrigue? Well, it doesn't have to be, especially depending on the age level and power level of your characters. I mean, know your players. And it seems like you do. You got two of your buddies having a good time. And that's clearly a sign that you're doing a great job. Right. And having just two people in your game, I think you can spend a lot of time helping them to develop their characters and not just, you know, uh, rapid fire quest type of scenario. You know, when you get to, you know, spend four or five hours with two players, that is a lot of personal growth that you can, you can, uh, you know, dedicate to those players and their characters. Strangely, I've never done that. <laughs> uh, that's not true. You you, you you sell yourself short, sir. You have. I've never no. I've never ran a game of two. Oh no no, not a game of two. Not but, a game of but two. Definitely, you've always been good at personal character development. Well, because personal character development, and Miles, I'm gonna tell you this with all due plum. When you're tackling your two friends who are sitting there, they have no idea what is going on behind your screen. And here's some clever tips that you can use to make it seem like you got your shit together, so you can stall for time. Because I think. The key element to making a scene to scene not seem like a scene 
take a break to scene is how you roll through it is how you get from point a to point c and what you do here have a notebook out have a pen in your hand you know roll some dice occasionally for no reason i definitely recommend a screen for you and usage vampire masquerade had one if you don't uh use the old adage the stack of books <laughs> that's right by you know they can't they're not sitting next to you so they're across from you i recommend uh, and this is stealing it right a white wolf's handbook here sitting in an elevated seat when you sit in an elevated seat it forces people to look up at you we've all had school we're all used to doing that in school and so it's already ingrained in us to pay attention to somebody sitting higher up now that being the case once you have their attention and you're able to kind of hide what you're doing if they do something you have that is far off the plot or you don't know what's going on, that buys you time. It gives you an ability to set up from one point to the other. The other added advantage is if scene one is ended because they accomplished that goal and you're trying to figure out, well, how would my world react to what they just did to get to whatever the next step? And that's the that's kind of the downside, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Nate. If you just have the less people you have, the more the storyteller has to be on right you have to be more involved you have to be constantly paying attention because the larger the game the more likely the players are going to start to explore role play among themselves they're going to be stuck in conversation they're going to be you know trying to vie for importance in their coterie or making up rules right they're at a certain point as a storyteller there's going to be periods of time where you're just sort of you're in the back seat and they're just sort of uh, like a tornado, just trying to catch steam, just trying to to roll through. Where are they going to go? And here's where you become amazing. As your players get into themselves and what they're doing, and they start generating things for themselves to do, that's when your brain's on because you're now mining what they're doing. Every little thing, every little plan they're thinking of having, every little goal they're thinking of going towards, every little thing they do, whatever idea that you generate, that's this is called a subplot. So if you have to storyboard this, and what I mean by storyboarding, you get a sheet of paper or an actual marker board, whatever you got to do, and draw a big, put right plot on the board right in the middle and draw a big circle around it. Then I want you to put a little dashes or lines, and each dash or line is a subplot. That's an idea that, you know, they can go towards, that this plot can generate, that players can go after. And then from those subplots that the players do go after, that's where you put down that data mining. That's where you start going, okay... Off the main plot, which you want the prince, was it the prince one was, uh, if I remember uh, correctly? I think it's Portland was the city he was playing in. Right, but they were vying for prince them, right? Uh, That's the point. Yeah, yeah the, the point was, it's uh, uh, like a power grab for prince them. A power grab for prince them. So that's the main plot is resolving that political chaos. Okay. Well, then a good subplot would be your two players, right? Whatever they're doing. You know, are they involved in that? Are they not involved in that? That's case in point. But every feeding scene they have that goes wrong. Everything they can do. Like I had this, I had this one idea I did a long time ago when I started out. It, you're all laughing me. I had what I like to call the sheriff award. And what the sheriff award was at the end of the game, I wrote down sheriff badge on um, who, whatever player did the most to draw the attention of the city in a bad way. <laughs> Someone frenzied in a public restaurant, but, but a friend in the coterie calmed him down to get him out to the bathroom or out to the street they would get the sheriff badge unless someone later on outside physically laid hands on someone in a said frenzy or tried to fight the harpy or whatever the situation is. And then I sat back and I tried to role play the sheriff I made and went, 
would my shit kicker Texas sheriff with this Southern drawl and way of being and brew high Bravo mentality want to go after the one who frenzied publicly in the restaurant or the dirty some bitch who laid hand on the prince's harpy who gets the sheriff badge. Now that's its own plot. That's an example, but that's obviously a far cry from what you had set up. Like that's not forwarding your main plot, but it is a subplot that could draw those two players in to what it is to be the sheriff. And it's a great introduction to what a sheriff is, what the deputies are and how the masquerade rolls. Right. I think too, it's very important to remember, um, primarily between the difference between like a Dungeons and Dragons game and a Vampire the Masquerade or really any White Wolf game is it starts in the title. You're not a game master. You're a storyteller and you and your players are developing a story. They're actors in your play and you have a very loose script. But one key thing to that, in my opinion, is having a rich and vibrant city. Everything that they do, someone should react to someone should be aware of or trying to find out you know somebody may be looking at at what they're doing to accumulate power do they want to aid them do they want to hinder them everything that you do should have some sort of impact in the world that they live in and of course your characters are going to be your main uh, characters in your story but all of those supporting characters have a role and you shouldn't just leave the door wide open for them. There should be obstruction. There should be things to hold them back. There should be hurt feelings and and desperate uh, rivals. And if you're going through this going, man, it's a lot of detail you guys are given for what should be an open and closed answer. I'll make it simple and rehash everything in an easy statement everyone gets. If you're making a vampire movie and you're the director of your game and that plot's the main plot of your of your movie... Those are the actors. Those are the main actors are your players. Is everything they're doing going to be great to watch on film? Mm-hmm. Is it good for the movie? That's what you got to look at. Then that fits everything from romance to action to intrigue. Is it entertaining? Right. And if it is, then Miles, you're doing a great job. Right. And, and I think uh, just to recap, I think it's very easy to just sit back and go, are my players having fun? Because at the end of the day, yeah, you want to follow the the genre to some degree, but if your players are having fun and you're having fun telling that story, there's no right or wrong answer. And people don't tell you about the vampire curse either, Miles. They never told me. I know they're certain. I didn't tell Nate no. when I had him help me on staff, and it's horrible. It's it's almost like a vampiric curse in its own right. You're deciding to be a storyteller is like you're being a ghoul. And then, you're, <laughs> and then you come to elder vampires going, hey, how do I figure stuff out? And we're like, we could tell you. But I warn you, it will change you. <laughs> and that changes this. You will find that you will ask more because the, the way you wrote that question in an email told me a lot about how you may story tell your game, which is you're doing it for the fun, but you also have an idea that there's a right and wrong way to do it. And ultimately, there isn't. Right. right. I'll, t- I'll be the first to tell you there isn't a right and wrong way to run any game. No, because it's only to you. Right. It's to you and who's close to you. Right. Your friends that you've picked to play in the game. However, there is a right and wrong way to run the game according to the aficionados, right? which, unfortunately, me and Nate are. That's the curse. <laughs> That's the curse. I have to say it. It's not snobbish when you've done it for 20 plus, 25 plus right. years. It's a matter of when you know it like water and it's water off a duck's back and people kind of mention ideas and whatnot, we want you to be entertained. We want to draw you in. We want to keep your interest into this thing of ours as much as anybody else. However, 
we're looking to get rid of that superhero feel that people right. sometimes pull in or that group mentality like because we're a coterie someone's the cleric someone's the ranger someone's the fight right that has to get out of there too because people you're not heroes no absolutely not you're not heroes and vampire in fact that's that was one of the major selling points you are not you're playing a game where you're not the hero you are the bad guy you are the sucker that that lives off of the human beings that dwell in the world that you have violated by continuing to exist in. And nothing highlights that more than a question I read on a board Nate invited me to about vampire. And uh, this question, though, wasn't a submission. I just want to give you guys some flavor. This guy had said, hey, you know, I'm running a game and we're doing Gehenna and we're doing the withering and we're getting into that. And there's this high powered ritual, thaumaturgy ritual that separates the beast from uh, the person. And then they're able to wash it clean and then put it back and then they're all better that can that be used to dodge the withering and i was like you've already missed a fundamental step you are the beast there is no separation when you're immortal and you become a vampire you have died right. make no mistake about that and you are now a monster you are now that beast who is clinging to what it knew in life right and that is called your humanity and as you feed and realize there is nothing better than the blood you're terrified at the fact that that's all there is right you're terrified the blood is better than anything you've ever known. And then actions to get blood seem more important, uh, is, or seem less important than what you have to do to get it than how they affect your environment. Because you could care less. You know, this is how someone goes from a rat to a, to a human, right. right? Or in a human sense, how you go from feeding on villains, criminals, that you, hey, that's a criminal. That's Right. I'm only going to feed on these people because they're bad and they do bad things. To your next door neighbor. Right, because you know, he did insult you. Your monster evolves, and how he evolves is he loses humanity. Right. And that's that's how you get closer to accepting it. So how do you separate yourself from yourself? And I kind of highlighted that. And again, I told him, it's your own game. But understand that the curse was delineated by God, according to Right Wolf, to Cain. And Cain was never, according to the Book of Nod anyway, which is his own fun thing, and we'll get to that on its yep. own. Yep. He was never supposed to embrace others. No. And multiple times in a biblical sense, we've reset in terms of vampires and, you know, no one ever learns. And that's the curse, right? That's the nature of it. That's a lot of content <laughs> for the question you had, Miles. But uh, what I will say to you is just again, and not again what Nate said, but to add to when you think of D&D &D should be when you're playing D&D. &D. However, your dungeon master experience of attention to detail of being able to set time aside, right? Time constraints to meet deadlines, to prepare you for the game. Those will all serve you well when prepping for those two very, very lucky players you have there. Right. That you're willing to run that game for. Absolutely. So thank you, Miles, for your question. Definitely appreciate it. Of course, today we are going to be reviewing the uh, first printing storyteller's guide to the sabbat which is a second edition book but it's the first storyteller's guide to the sabbat it's a love of mine um i'm i have mixed feelings about this book um of course on one hand i really enjoy it and then there's some back end things where i'm less than totally all about it um and we'll, we'll get to that um you know th this book starts out like any other book would you know uh, the tale of the tape the introduction uh, all the people that uh, were involved um, getting into chapter one, we look at being inside the Sabbat, the Sabbat perspective, the views on all the different uh, enemies that it 
perceives outside of itself real quick you might be thinking hang on a second didn't you guys do the sabat players guide and already went through the sabat perspective make no mistake the way these books are written they're from the perspective of what's coming out of that book right so in the players guide to sabat that's all the propaganda that sabat players would be fed there may be's and what have you's and possibly's right this is behind the curtain so to speak this is the wizard uh, in oz sort of pulling the the strings and twisting the knobs. And exactly. We talk about the characteristics of the Sabbat. There are a variety of different, different characteristics. First and foremost, we have total chaos. What that means is that uh, it, it, is a, it is a sect that has leadership, but at its heart, it is a bunch of vampires who have a very different idea of what freedom is. Exactly. They, they talk about how, well, how does this sect operate? And it seems that it's totally chaotic. The Sabbat operates understanding two terms freedom and loyalty this is how it maintains at its core everything that's going on and how the war machine keeps warring on and the freedom and the freedom of the sabbat is yes you're a vampire yes you're free to do what you want but as we said in a previous podcast that's provided you have the power to tell your elders to fuck off that you don't want to that you don't want to do what they ask you to do you know and if you can there are rules in place to challenge them and their authority to do that very mm -hmm. thing however loyalty is a big part in it and loyalty says, well, you're a member of this organization. What are you going to do to help defend it? Right. What are you going to do to keep it in line? And where do you draw that line as a person? And right. to where, you know, now I'm going to tell them I need time off. Right, of course. And, I, you know, I don't want to go over each individual little pointer here, but I think, um, you know, it's important to summarize this in some degree that when you are looking at the player's guide, the player's guide tells you what? The storyteller's guide tells you why. Where are these motivations coming from? Well said. Uh, you know, uh, where what are the themes behind the Sabbat? What are the things that motivate a member of the Sabbat to be a member of the Sabbat? And it's very important for a player, I, I believe, and a storyteller to look at both of those to put those together. Because, you know, we get a lot like we're we're big fans of the Sabbat, but a lot of people go, ah, I've never been into them. I really don't get them. They just seem like madmen. And I think it's important to know that these people and they play, plainly stated here, these people, these vampires, they think they're the heroes. They are they are monsters for sure. They are the heroes. But they feel that they're the heroes. They stand as the bulwark against ancients who have no desire but to rise up and eat them. So in that sense, it's very important to look at these motivations. And we go on to like the sources of conflict. What are the Sabbat at war with? Why are they at war with these individual groups? Why are they at war with these these entities? Now, what's important is in that section, the section before tells you, like Nate said, explains the whys. The Sabbat is operating and what's going on. And we gave you a taste of one. When we get into the next section, it may seem redundant, but critically read the next one. Because it's not telling you why things are going on. It's telling you exactly what's going on in the Sabbat. And that image of total chaos, well, externally, you may think that internally you may definitely know that and that's because when you start thinking of all the things that conflict with the sabbat right rebellion versus rebellion the right to say no and the right to say no to you right those things how does that how do you work that out and what's going on with that um how is it that the elders operate very much like the Camarilla elders to the young and how do they get them going on and that's the young or the old versus right. the young how do they stay in a, a leadership position and maintain that uh, respect from what we would call underlings when you are in a group of people that espouse freedom. Well, a variety of different meanings 
uh, of freedom exist. A variety of different perspectives exist within the Sabbat. And then it talks about different uh, key components to use when telling a story with the Sabbat. The use of intrigue, the use of ritualism, which is super important. You know, th- this is more so than the Camarilla ever could be. The Sabbat is a religion. It really is something that's deeply rooted in ritual. And of course, use this as you're comfortable with, because as a storyteller, you have to gauge your players. If your players are not super into, you know, deep ritualistic descriptions and, you know, of course, tailor it to your players. But I'll say this. I don't don't care if they're not comfortable with it. You're telling (laughs) I'm not even laughing about it, because in all seriousness, why are you playing the Sabbat game if you don't want to be the Sabbat? For sure. No, I I agree with you. There are other games to play. So when you think of ritualism, if your players are uncomfortable or can't think of how to do these rituals, Mm. you, the storyteller, it's your job. That's your job to paint (laughs) the image that they're living in, right. you know, and don't fall short of that. Well, I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is before you throw players that are unfamiliar with this, you know, head first into it, you know, get a gauge of your players, let them know like, Hey, when we play this game, this is what you're going to experience. Are you okay with that? And in this section, it, it tells you too, how to do that. It gives you an idea. Yep. Like in ritualism, make sure you have a mentor, an NPC mentor character. That could be the actual ductus of the right. pack, the leader. It could be a bishop who's keeping an eye on him. It can be a member of the pack who's right. just throwing in two cents. And uh, one thing that's that's decidedly different in this version of the Sabbat and in, in our first printing of the Sabbat Storyteller's Guide, it's different from later incarnations, is the heavy usage of a prelude. They give you a full like step-by-step process. You're basically having your players make characters that are living, breathing human beings, and you're taking them through the process of being embraced, going through the creation rites, and eventually becoming members of the Sabbat. And uh, that's not something that's really focused on in later editions. Right. But here, it, it very much is a part of this game. And I truly think the reason why it's not focused on later editions, they've already done it. I'm going to tell you early on, you know, I, get, uh, I actually don't know exactly what Nate's reservations are about this book, but this book I'll, is... I'll tell you. Demons. That's it. Okay, well, that's important, too, and <laughs> right. we'll get to that. Right. We'll see if I could sway you a little bit. Uh, but the point is that in this book, the beginnings that we're talking about, that were kind of, I really want to spend a lot of time on it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you're going to buy it, you're going to read it. Right. And that's the point. We're just telling you it's in there, and I'm telling you it's a must-have. Because how do you paint the world of the Sabbat that a group of authors have already written about that and you you like the idea and you want to portray it, but if you don't go through these steps, I went through these steps, Nate went through these yeah. steps, you got to do it at least once and put pen to paper right. and see what you come up with before you start ad-libbing right. and going with it because trust the process, TTP. You know, for me, when, we, uh, when I first started to get into Vampire the Masquerade and got into the Sabbat, um, I, I wasn't familiar with these books. You know, I was familiar with like the Camarilla line and the clan books and stuff like that. And then when Revised came out and we had the new Camarillo guide and the new Sabat guide, of course, I, I read through those and I was like, oh, this is amazing. That's when I, I sort of went in reverse. So for me, right. it was like I knew what the Sabat is now. Where did the Sabat come from? And reading back and sort of seeing the growth and how the game changed, how the, the developers of the game sort of molded it and altered it. It was very good for me to get a full perspective. Yes. And I think that that's really at the heart of this podcast and why we do this is so that for you, you can get a full understanding or at least a better understanding of where the game came from to where the game is now. Cause here's at heart. We're not trying to sell you the product. No, we're trying to tell you why we're passionate about the product. Right. So we're, we don't have the constraints white wolf had. Right. 
So this is the material here it is, and we'll very candidly tell you if we think it sucks, and we have. <laughs> right. So, but the photos in this book also sell it as well. Oh yeah, and I th- and they're brilliant. So th- th- this is a this is a key factor for me why the second edition was so much better than the first edition, and it's because of things just like typeface, things like the artwork, the pictures that are in here. They tell such a richer tale than you know those those early books were great, of course. But like the artwork and the way that the books are set up is just a step above. It's just so much richer. Like the picture in front of Nate right now depicts a guy who's clearly was embraced in the 80s, right? (laughs) Right. He has the iconoclast look rocking it. He has the haircut to make him look like a brouhaha with the mullet fully intact. (laughs) The fangs are out like David from the Lost Boys. And he has himself a victim. And he's smiling as if you're the dude with the camera who's in his pack that just caught him mid-bite. Right. You know, and he's posing for it. Right. He's when, got that ritual dagger up ready to is, strike. Is that the case? Is that a bruja? Or is he a black hand remover on mission? And you're actually the poor son of a bitch ghoul who took a photo of him killing him thinking he couldn't see you. Right. And he turned and smiled at you letting you know you're next. Right. It, it allows you to look and go, there's a story here. Yeah. What that story is. So this is going to sound ridiculous for people that have like gone to college for writing. But <laughs> I remember when I was in school. They they had uh, this exercise where they would just, uh, you know, your teacher would just pick a photo at random and they'd go take this and now write a three page story about it, whatever this picture is. And the key to that is you going, OK, this is nothing. Now I have to put a story to this. Right. And, and all of this artwork will allow you to do that. And, you know, whatever. It's a, it's an aside. But. It's a cool little exercise that you can use, especially when you're storytelling a game, because <clears throat> when you think of this book. And you think about how it all pulls together. If the book doesn't engage you as a storyteller, if it doesn't immerse you in what you're trying to do as a Sabbat, then it's not going to work. You're not going to do a good job with the Sabbat either. Right. And so the photos, how they word it to you, how they pitch it to you, how they break it down, it's all to make you a full-fledged, card-carrying Nate and Bob graduate of Sabbat. Yep, absolutely. And uh, the in uh, chapter two, they talk about Sabbat Chronicles. And the first thing that they go over is using the Sabbat in an existing chronicle. Um, of course, if you're if you're running a Camarilla game, uh, well, they're they're great for antagonists to any Camarilla game. Um, but creating a, a chronicle for both Camarilla and Sabbat characters, they give you some options in here. They talk about, you know, have your characters, have your players literally make two different characters one on each side uh they talk about the chronicle taking place in a free city um to flesh it out because i could already hear a lot of questions that come from that yeah for me and they do that can that's something we've done before and, and i'll tell you right now why that's a sweet thing to do if they make camarilla characters in the same city and you're trying to tell us a bot story though of a takeover of a city let your troop know in advance okay cool the camera players you're playing may die right that's flat out may die. And, and, and they're, but, they're very determined to tell you your Sabat characters probably are going to die. Right. And the point why we're saying that is because when you do that dual sided role play, like alternating stories, the whole point of it is that you're telling the story about a Sabat crusade. And you're going to want to give them all the nuance that you're going through every step of the way from the Camarilla's perspective and definitely from the Sabat's perspective. Right. And that's just one technique to do it. Right. And they're all going to have motivations why they think their sh- their side should win. And the interesting part about it is I've never encountered a situation where one person was like, I'm more interested in my spot character. So fuck this camera guy. I'm not going to do anything special. Right. We'll get into it because at the heart, who they are this Saturday is not who they were last Saturday. And a storytelling tip. Your goal is to not tell them 
you never want to do you never want to break the fourth wall yeah if they're playing the camera look camera players at night and last week they did the sabbat where that tore apart the elysium and this week they're the ones in that elysium with sabbat are tearing it apart you don't want to go okay nate your cam guy recognizes your sabbat character he's in the building let's go no you would do a disservice you're telling that player yeah your dude you're playing from last week's here so maybe avoid them and what have you you want to get descriptive this is where you should sing as a storyteller describing every detail and nuance from the cameraless perspective because that's the game you're playing that night and if it turns out that a couple people start fighting their previous characters so be it you already set that in advance that that right. could happen it may very well happen right and and uh, one thing that they they uh they talk about here is you know setting up that sabat chronicle and you know one of the one of the little uh, uh, chapter heads is going with mindless brutality. Right. You there. There isn't a wrong answer here with the Sabbat. There are so many different variations that you can choose. You know, when you decide, OK, I'm going to run a chronicle. I want to run a knockdown, drag out splatter fest nightmare. <laughs> and as long as your players are good with it, <clears throat> let it flow. Let it rip. You know, keep those key things, those key components in mind. But. You can have mindless mayhem, and that's that's okay. That's that's a totally acceptable way to run a game. Um, but then they talk to you about going beyond that mindless brutality, create uh, creating a crusade, sending the Sabbat at a Camarilla city, trying to put a city under siege and and wrest that control from the Camarilla. And to not get incredibly detailed, we started telling you what that process was last week, how they mm-hmm. do it. This one absolutely tells yeah. you how they do it. They give you a step-by-step uh, a solution to creating a crusade. And believe it or not, the player characters, the Sabat coming in with the mindless violence and brutality, that's like step five of six. That's like the tail end. Right. Because the first half, think about it. You got to infiltrate. And to infiltrate, you got to start with the anarchs in the city. You got to start from the out and work in of the onion. Right. And they, they're trying to recruit. Tell them, hey, you're anarchs. It's cool, man. We're in arcs two of a type. Let's let's have a chat. And you want to see who you can recruit or who you can eliminate. Because if they're not going to be on your side, you don't want the Camarilla to use them to stop you. Right. And you're also getting info. Who's who and what have you. And what's important is, if you're those recruiters, those about recruiters, you're specialists socially. You're going to have a social gear set. I mean, that's just the only way it's going to work. And you're there pretending to be anarchs and you're going to the hilt. Find out who's who of the Camarilla side. Then you come back with that info. And then, and then what they're going to do after that is send in people to kind of get close. Hey, we're new vampires to the city. We come from so-and-so. Right. Da-da-da-da. Get entrenched. And it's a process that could take years. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, should. Absolutely. Like, your chronicle at this point, if you're doing a crusade in the city, should not be a one-week done. Right. And just because this is a successful crusade doesn't mean the Sabbat ends up with the city in the end. Right. Sometimes just the act of completely weakening that uh, that the hierarchy, weakening the camera was holding the city uh, is a success for the Sabbat. And what they want to do is they want to target. So and what we mean infiltrators, right? We're talking the black hand. Right. This is why the black hand is so important because the Sabbat, remember, step five, right? That's the real. That's not the real Sabbat. I don't want to say it that way. But that, as they call them, that's the shock troops. That's phase five. Right. And then phase six is the cleanup and who gets the rewards and who gets the titles. One through four is all the black hand. That's where the real work gets done, in my opinion. 
You got to find your targets. You right. got to pretend to be your targets and cozy up to them, find out what they know. Then you got to move past those targets and get to the, and the key people they say to take out are the harpies. And if you have to wonder why that is, the harpies <laughs> are the source of information right, in the right. city. You, you want to cut off all of those, uh, all those communication. pieces of, of communication. Exactly. So if the harpies are either converted, which is ideal, or killed, you then have to impersonate them, right? Right. And now that we're doing that, we want to set it up to where we can get, hopefully, the prince, the primogen, all those people we can't get to flip. We want them to be in one spot. Right. Right. And we want to be able to orchestrate this over time. But we, we, they need to trust us. They right. need to believe that we're here as Camarilla members. That's all the wheelhouse of the black hand. Right. They set all that in motion, have people to perfectly do it. Now, when you get to step five, though, after, oh, yeah, by the way, the harpy's done. I didn't, I didn't finish the key, position, key positions. The harpy's target. The sheriff is absolutely a target, mm -hmm. but not in the reason you think. It's not because we fear the sheriff's going to come down on us. They do it because the sheriff is usually easily converted. And think about it. You're going to go to the sheriff and say, we're the Sabbat and there's nine of us. And, or maybe not, depending on how you choose to do it socially. But the point is, you want to lay out for the sheriff because he's not going to accept your he hears a thousand different ways a thousand times. Right. I'm really anarch so-and-so from this random city. No, you're not. You're really some special bloodline from whatever. You know how I know? Some other asshole came here not too long ago right. with the same story. So the Sabbat brass taxes this dude. They either black bag him, black hand style, interrogate him, and then impersonate him. Or they come in and tell him, we either kill you or you flip right now. And let's do the verniculum. Now you're in. And to prove it that you're in with us, you're going to be here for the full ride. You don't get to go anywhere. You're in my pack now. And he's going to feed information accordingly and hopefully get the heartbeat too. So if you're the poor people in the Camarilla, you're worried about your Elysiums and your gatherings and your political stuff going on. A little weird that the harpy's late here and there. Mm -hmm. Normally they're the first there, but it's okay. They're the harpy. Where's the sheriff? Haven't heard from him in a while. Oh, there he is harassing the same people he always does. Looks like he's got some new friends. Blah, 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 blah. You're not going to think twice about it. And that's what's insidious about the Sabbat. And then by the time you get to, was it phase three is like operation, uh, eliminate the important ghouls. Cause now yeah, we're, so, so step three is develop the enemy. Yes. And, um, basically it's, it's what you're describing. We're, we're looking at what our enemy is and how we can weaken that enemy. Uh, going on, uh, step four is develop the Sabbat involved in the crusade. This is when packs start coming to the outer reaches of the city but this also tells you that's, yes, it is. Right. But more importantly, as a storyteller, so where it gives you that head nod and says, okay, now we know the Sabbat are coming to the city. This is where you define who these Sabbat are. You know, they go from being random Sabbat pack to getting a Sabbat theme, right. a name for the pack. Uh, dude, it, pack it, it, it's, this is my favorite part because you can, you can look at any, any movie that you love. Any, but the only any, one you should use is the Warriors. <laughs> right. That's, well, that's, that's really, where I was going. Like, you should really watch the Warriors. And, and, and you can see all of their gangs <laughs> as Sabbat packs. It's, it's a perfect representation. Or, or Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. I'll allow that, too. Because <laughs> the show enough, the Shogun of Harlem is time-tested. Just FYI. Right. Remember, like all these packs, they all have their own symbolism. They all have their own rituals. They all have their modes and modus operandi. You know, and, and this is an opportunity for you as a storyteller to flush those out, to make interesting characters that but you put in go, oh, It awesome. sounds like you're just describing a bunch of biker vampire gangs. Yeah, so totally it could be that if you wanted it to be. Yeah, yes, it, it is. But it doesn't have to be. Right. Right. It, it is. It, <laughs> and, and, and in fact, like one of the one of the games that we played in 
uh, story told by somebody else, we literally made a vampire biker gang. And it was awesome. It was great. We had biker rituals. We had our own creation rights, you know, and these are things that you can do because let's face it, you're the storyteller, right? You're the man or or woman. You're the person that's focused on creating the best possible story. And chances are you got the most in your head. This is your opportunity to get that out, to use it. We had uh, I got to describe it because I enjoyed it so much. We had a, we had a ritual for this biker pack where it's a punishment, right? And for someone to mouth off to the ductus, if, if someone does something to make the ductus appear weak, the pack look weak, thusly, in front of any other Sabat pack, then you get the chain gang. And, <laughs> and what the chain gang is, is that we would hook up the last three bikes, including especially with the ductus in the middle, and we would attach chains to the person, and that person better start running as fast as they can. Because we're traveling to the next town until you fall to torpor or keep up right. with it, and you get no blood, you get no sympathy. The only thing we'll do is put you to bed out of out of harm of the sun to teach you a lesson. Right. And the, the, these are the types of things that having a nomadic pack, having a, a variety of nomadic packs travel to the city. This is where you understand, OK, why isn't the Sabbat in charge of everything? It sounds like they're just an army. Well, guess what? They kind of are, but they kind of right. aren't. Because what happens when that nomadic biker pack goes, you know what? Fuck this. We, we're not interested in this city anymore. And we don't agree with the leadership but we're just going to bounce. We're just going to leave. Well, now suddenly you have less players on the board. <laughs> and they're addressing it from a crusade perspective, like building that crusade chronicle. And it's spot on with the problem with nomadic packs. But you also have those coven members, right? Those established in right. the city. It's strange that the coven members are tend to be stronger than nomadic packs. Because right. remember, the nomadic packs are younger because those Hellions, those firebrands, they're like comets, right? They're going to burn up and die. They're going to do something. Exactly. One day, that guy that guy on the side of the road that you decided was a hobo is really a bonar elder <laughs> right. who was picking some trash and looking at his territory, and someone hit him with a lead pipe, right. and the rest is a reset character like thing. they say, the, the brightest flame burns quickest. You know? <laughs> yes. it's, it, the, like, these packs are great to play. These nomadic, savage, just full of disregard and piss and vinegar, they're great to play. But how long is that going to last? <laughs> right. You know, that's that's important. Take all of this information and, and weigh it behind a logical reaction from the world around it. Because we're telling you the fun half, right? Right. This is all the young blood recruited people. This is the established core freedom. Yeah. Fucking sons of anarchy all day. The other half is where the real kings play. This is where Sabbat royalty thrive. And that's this. Wings of a butterfly, right? Somewhere in Spain, um, Monaco, if you will. Um, Archbishop so-and-so uh, decides to write a letter to a simple Templar of his, a true dyed-in-the-wolf favorite named Tally the Hound of Clan La Sombra. And he tells him simply, Dear Tally, there was a nomadic pack I liked that was killed by a werewolf. I'm told something called a, a bone eats garbage out of a can. <laughs> this displeases me. I really wish something could be done. And by Wings of the Butterfly... That city that housed that Bonar is the very next target for a crusade because the archbishop is unhappy, but he's a European Sabbat archbishop in the Lasombra clan, who was probably a member of high, high up ranking something, right? Because right. they, they established it. That string gets pulled, that Templar is dispatched. And when Tally the Hound, when, when the man comes round, you pay attention because <laughs> Tally's the type of cat, one of my favorite canon characters that... I don't know. I think we will get to later, I hope. Uh, but he's the reason I will never let go of the Sabbat. Dude dresses with all silver accoutrement, 
Like he likes he likes his cowboy boots with the spurs, but they're silver tipped. They're silver spurs. He has silver bullet bandolier for no reason. Because he uses knives. Right. His knives are silver. And he has a saber that he's never used because he's never found an equal worth pulling it out. And he's a La Sombra. And his idea of a vacation is to hunt lupines for their pelts and bring it home to adorn his haven. Or do whatever, you know, do whatever Who knows? he's doing. But that is an in-depth sabbat example of a badass that you're just like, wow. So, and he's just a Templar. Right. So when he gets dispatched anywhere, people know his clout. In right. particular with the Lysambra clan. So when you think of that, we use an, a big example, right? Nomads. Here's the butterfly effect. That's how a crusade gets launched. That's one example of how right. it very well can. Right. And at, at the end of this, uh, they, they tell you, you know, what we already mentioned, listen to your players, talk to them, ask them direct questions about your storytelling ability. The best way to maintain, and, and the real purpose of these books is for you to grow as a storyteller, but the best way to maintain the consistency of your game, your players having fun is to ask them direct questions. Is this fun? Does it make sense? You know, don't make the mistake that a lot of uh, inexperienced storytellers make, <laughs> which is to make the game about you. At the end of the day, the game is for your players. You know, don't make it a cakewalk, but make sure that they're having fun. Make sure that they're they're interested, that they're reeled in. I got three questions you can ask. They're real mm -hmm. simple and starting up a Sabat Chronicle. You're gung-ho. We got you excited about the podcast. You want to go home and stop your Camarilla game temporarily because you want to give a shot at the Sabbat tell your players you're all about it. Step one, ask your players how they feel about the Sabbat, right? Do they like it? Don't like it? Reasons why I'm sure it'll generate some stories and interest and deal with those ideas first, because if nobody's into it, but you, well, I guess you're not playing, a, <laughs> you're not doing a Sabbat game, right? Write some fan fiction, right? <laughs> Number two, if they're all about the game, you should be asking them, well, what about the Sabbat interests you the most? Like, what do you really like about it? Take those notes down. Now, by notes, I'm not saying sit there with a notepad in front of with a pen or a pencil. But have some, whether you remember it or you're tapping it in your phone, whatever you're doing, be as non-intrusive as possible to their brainstorming. Because right. you don't they're giving you creativity and they're also giving you a lot of plot. Right. Because they're giving you theme, mood, plot, and everything you can use to help this process of building your chronicle that much easier. And the third and final question. As they're doing this, is there any clans that you think would lessen your impact or lessen the impact of your experience in the Sabbat? And why that's important is because not all the clans get along great together. Right. In the Sabbat, you definitely have an excuse to where any clan can belong in the Sabbat. But that doesn't mean it should happen. Case in point, Ravno. Everyone I know who plays, you know, a Sabbat game's going on, if you let them do it, some, some guy's going to want to play a Ravno anti. Some guy or chick, because they I want that, that chemistry. They want it in there. And what always happens, <laughs> what's the point of you? Because you're going to be in there, you're going to have your chemistry, but really, you're just a guy holding... Like, what yeah. What did you envision with your Ravno, other than, I want chemistry? And then pause for that effect. Every other clan, you could easily write it in that right. I've seen. But that Ravno's kind of a hard gig to throw on. But it's doable. It's in the book. It's possible. They can do it. But what I'm saying is... If they're targeting a clan just for a specific discipline, don't settle for that. Right. Tell them to give you more. It has to be more than that discipline is the reason you right. want to play the character. You know, and, and one strategy in here is literally your character is a quote-unquote shovelhead. You don't have any control over what you end up playing because your players are making mortal characters. And 
Yeah, uh, you know, you you could very easily just go, this dude embraced you. This is what you get. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a thing that you can do. It's not something that's required, but but definitely what you're saying, Bob, is yeah. if you and your if your players are going, ah, I just want to play this this clan because they have this kick ass discipline, they've kind of missed the plot. They've kind of missed the whole point of this game. That all of the clans have unique disciplines. All of the clans could learn them, especially in a pack. Make your character. Make a make a three dimensional character and worry about the rest of the stuff later. You may very well be a pack if all they want is Chimera Street, and that's it. A clever way of doing it as a storyteller going, what if you had Chimera Street because someone in your pack already diabolized? Right. And they have an idea, and then right. that lets you buy a level or two. But then allows you to pick a clan you can think of stories for. Right. Point is, is that they're very correct, and it's kind of a candy store for disciplines in the Sabbat, because it being communal, you have mentors all around. At yeah. the same token, that story is even more critical, so it doesn't seem a candy store. So moving right along, we get into chapter three, which is the politics of the Sabbat. And uh, this is a really, I, f- I feel like it's a really super important chapter, because with all the other stuff that we've talked about, we've talked about like theme and, and you know, how to run a chronicle, but right. the actual politics, the actual things that, that tie the Sabbat together are discussed here. And it's pretty complex. It's, it's not just like, Oh, we're Sabbat. Let's go kill shit. My goal is to convince you that this is even more complex than the Camarilla politics and where you're like, Holy shit. What sort of, I mean, but this isn't a very cool way. Because this isn't like the Sabbat doesn't believe like the camera believes that there are only specific single people that have important titles and therefore they're the ones to know and everything gravitates towards them, which is the way they design it. Right. That works well for that game in the Sabbat ideologies are to be considered um, paths paths followed are to be considered. Absolutely. Ranking is almost tertiary compared to those first two, because in the Sabbat first thing to determine is your loyalty or freedom. Right. What we said in the beginning. And, and how you view that. Exactly. What your perspective is on that, on that freedom versus loyalty versus respect piece. Um, they talk about the five factions within the sect. These are good. The first one is the status quo. And that is basically your Lasambra, your Shamase, your Black Hand. People that believe in business as usual. There are leaders and there are those that, you know, file in. The, the rank and file that, that make up the rest of the They sect. never call them rank and file, even in this no, book. No, no, yeah, of course not. Of this course book not. doesn't even call them rank and file because they use, because we're not giving the smooth words they put in here. Right. Because basically they want you to get the impression that it's always a request. Yeah, yeah. We request of our sabbat, of our dutiful soldiers and those who follow in the war. Right. We request that you do these things for us and you're going to do them. Right. Right. And, and, and they very specifically state status quo leaders consistently issue orders but word them as requests. <laughs> Anybody that's worked in a corporate environment, anyone that's worked in a retail environment, this should be very familiar with you. You have bosses that are always telling you to do stuff, but are they really? You know, Nate, I'm going to need you today, in addition to all your other duties, so when you're done doing what you're doing up here at front with this customer, I'm going to need you to go to the back and begin filing down whatever system or minutia pro- project that I easily could find someone else to do, but I'm going to need you to do that right now. Hey, Thanks. Hey, Nate, uh, I, I have Ted. Ted uh, recently transferred from a different uh, location, and um, while you're up there in that spot directing traffic, would you mind if, if Steve just shadowed you? I'm going to go, no, I don't mind. Like, sure, I'm just doing my thing, and Steve's just there great that'd be awesome they told me to do it i don't really have a choice i right. could have said no but at, at what risk how does that sound to the sabbat think about it 
if I'm La Sombra Bishop Bob, and I and I look to Nate and I'm like, hey, Nate DeBruja, I need you to do whatever I say <laughs> because I am the bishop. And my name, that title alone, the Templar who may or may not be standing to me, depending on how much clout I have, should let you know that probably you're in my notice, mm-hmm. and it's good of you for your reputation. Oh, yeah. Beyond that, brutal to, to Bob, go do that. You, you're packed the 30 days of night. Right. I've chosen you to go and destroy this Camarilla vampire. I've chosen you and your pack to go and wipe out this group of anarchs. Oh, shit, we got chose. No, I... You're you did, but that's because I'm telling you to go do it. Right. And he hyped him up. Right. But now you're like, fuck yeah, we got chosen. <laughs> you did the Nate it. voice. You were the 30 days of night. I need you to go forth and conquer in my name. <laughs> do it now. And they're all like age 16 mass embraces from a junior high school of the last crusade, right? And they're like, Holy shit, we're important now. We better right. do this 30 days of night. <laughs> you know? Just, right. They're gonna die. Right, of course. But they you, are. you need the cannon fodder to either prove themselves or die. Uh, moving on, we have the Moderates. Uh, the faction that has the most support of any Sabbat, including the Gangrel, Malkavian, Nasratu, Serpents of the Light, Tordor, and Tremere. Uh, the the basically uh, they they're they're halfway in between. They understand and respect orders, but also at the the cost of not giving up their sense of freedom. I put eighty percent of the sect right. of Sabbat into this category. They right. get the big picture. They they follow orders, but they're not against questioning them. If they think it's stupid, maybe it's brought up. Maybe it's better said the experience about following to this. You may because you you'll fly through the spectrum, right? Right. You may start off in one political spectrum, but end up moderate because yeah, in the crusade, freedom was awesome and fighting to be free was great. You just flayed a human being to wear their skin because you were cold tonight. <laughs> that shit didn't happen in the crusade. <laughs> right. That's a far cry from the freedom I thought. Oh, you're uncomfortable within me? I'll catch up with you later. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Freedom. Awesome. Right. Uh, then we have the ultra conservatives. And uh, it indicates here that the faction, this faction is made up of the eldest members of all the Sabbat clans. It favors central, uh, centralization and authoritarian rule. Uh Ultra conservatives. I mean, it's a pretty spot on description. It doesn't leave much to the imagination. Your regents, your pris, the regent, right? The pris guy or the consistory, if you prefer. Your archbishops typically are in here. Funny enough, in my head, you, you can your choice. Maybe you disagree. I don't think your bishops fit here. No, no. Yeah, these are these are going to be like your your. We were at the the treaty of Tyr. We were at the, right. the convention of thorns. We watched as genitals flew across the room. <laughs> we rule to oppose, and you fall in line because that's what you do. Yeah, these are the ultra conservative. There is no questioning. We fight for freedom, but we fight for a purpose, and you follow those rules, or you face the wrath of my power. And there are many, many ways. Right. And these are these are the type of folks that uh, are going to draw the ire of uh, the loyalists, which is the next faction. The loyalists believe in absolute freedom. You don't tell me what to do. I'm a member of a Sabbat. I belong to the sect, but I do whatever the fuck I want. And it outlines your caitiffs, or excuse me, your panders. I don't yep. want to disrespect them. Your panders and your bruja anti almost universally dominate this aspect of the political faction. Venture. And uh, sorry, venture anti yep. was the third. Yep. Uh, it's about founded on total freedom, uh, but the sect has far has moved far away from that original concept, and they believe that the the whole point of being in the Sabbat is total freedom. The, it's it's kind of the most anarch 
of Sabat members. The I do what I want. I go where I want. You don't get to tell me what to do. I'm like wearing the the rebel flag. I'm I'm go where I want. I'm do what right. I want. Uh, then uh, the last one they have is the Panders, and the Panders are a unique thing for the Sabat. Um, rallying around one charismatic individual, uh, Joseph Pander, the the Caitiff have sort of come into their own as a nearly accepted clan. Um, they talk about how the ultra conservatives are actually oddly enough in support of them because they, sh- they should represent uh, rule. They, they, they're powerful enough to, to be accepted as a clan than they should be. And specifically clan Lissamber accepts them universally. And the reason of this is because think about it in the Sabbat, there must be those who follow and if all it takes to get a group of near do well, or excuse near do well, uh, passionate about who they are, willing to oppose to make sure they're rightly respected, vampires to follow is to simply accept them. Right, and they talk about how the panders are uh, are are accepted in a lot of ways because they are willing to do the more dangerous things, whatever gets them a higher regard within the sabbat. They're willing to do it. So. More so than any other clan, they're willing to put themselves at personal risk for the respect of the Sabbat. Because everything they're doing is going towards the name of their clan. Right. And they know that. And it's the one place that Caitiff have. You don't even call them a Caitiff. They're panders, and they will fight. that Fight for the right to keep that title and that position. Right. And that does mean loyalty. Absolutely. And then it uh, goes on to talk a little bit more about the intricacies of those uh, different factions. Um the, how the status quo plays to the loyalists, how, um, you know, the different clans play into which factions, um, the conflicts. And if you're, we already laid the basis. I mean, I feel right. we can kind of skip this. Right. And in and, and this for you, you can go over if you're going to read this book or if you've read it already, you know, definitely give it a reread because laying the groundwork, you can easily see how there's a lot of intrigue you can create from there. And it gives you ideas. It definitely points out right. how you can do it, but we don't necessarily need to go over that now in here. Uh, Moving on, they talk about how Mexico City is the stronghold of the Sabbat. Um, there are books to come on that, uh, but definitely, um, you know, take a look at that. And a quick explanation, if you're wondering at this point, well, why? Why Mexico City? Well, there are two cities that the Sabbat have, and they have a map in this book that Nate's about to get into, but they highlight the two strongholds of the Sabbat the, in, in this order. Mexico City is number one. Montreal is number two. Right. And here's why. When the Sabbat came from Europe, from the old world, the Camarillo had already been here for 200 years. You'll figure that out in the timelines they give when they talk about it. Because the first civil war happened in Europe when they were dubbed the Sabbat no longer just Anarchs. And they tore each other apart because that's freedom at its cost, right? And they're, and they're trying, only the strong stuck together. And by the strong, the Black Hand existed even back then. And the Black Hand quelled the first rebellion. And they brought him to heel and they had leaders and they said, hey man, we're going to lose it if we don't start seeing what we're doing. Uh, okay, and by the way, the Camarilla is already in the New World. Right. And then the elders said, hey, no, go. Troops, go. We need packs. Y'all need to get over there right. and, and stomp in those necks now. And they sent them over there, except the New World, and we're referring to the New Year, we're referring to the colonies here. The colonies, internationals, if you need to know, or for us, <laughs> the United States, you know. Yeah, North America specifically, right. Canada, United there States, Mexico. There was already um, some, some places built and some systems going on, and those elders were, were <laughs> think about it. Out of nowhere, here comes a boat, and off there comes about four or five packs of vampires who are looking to put up shop. Well, you're that elder who's been in the woods feeding off the natives the entire time, and the natives haven't even known you were there. Like, you feed off a of one or two occasionally, never kill the one, and you're, you're living the good life. 
Right. You're, you're traveling with them. You're that gang grown. By the way, a lot of gang grow were already over here in the Americas because of that lifestyle. Here comes this boat of crazed whatever. Yeah, the gang grow ripped them apart. They went right to, they went to war off the bat off the boats. Here's the other half. The Zemisi and La Samba were sharpening daggers the whole time. The whole boat right over, they were going to say, hey, this is where we recruit people definitely. The first problem of the civil, first civil war and why that ended the way it was was because there wasn't a definite winner. We were challenging each other left and right, smoking our, our best people, our war packs going at each other. But that's because the leadership wasn't there. Well, now we're going to lead. And the Zemis were like, no, you're not. <laughs> it's that simple. And La Samba were like, okay, well, not right now. But I, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, right. sure. Now, that's in the political sense. Well, your Zemis and La Sombra did it was a mix of what direction they went to, but this pushed the Sabbat far north and far south because they couldn't get along, right. even here, to have a true strength, uh, show of strength here. However, the farther south they went, the bloodier it got. There was, there was anarchs over here, too. And they were warring with the denizens. There was werewolves to war with. There was weird mage cults to, to contend with, let alone the mortal wars that were happening. The War of 1812 was going on, you know, to be near and dear in my right. heart. There was tons of stuff that said, hey, we can't settle and put up roots here. We got to go to places those roots are already established and take them over. Mexico was the most accepting of the Sabbat because when the Sabbat got there, they damn well unified. They saw what was going on in Mexico, and we'll get to that later. But if it's the Rampa Room, right. Your Sabbat guys, you fucking invented the Rampa Room. These guys are playing at it. They never went to the hill. Right. And, and, and here's a, an interesting thing about this, too. Um, you know, we're talking about where the Sabbat sort of controls. And, you know, obviously this map is 1992-ish. Uh, yeah. So it's not going to be super up to date. But the next book that we do, which I believe is Dark Colony, talks about uh, all of this stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, talks about, because if you look at this map, basically you have the eastern seaboard. That looks like it's under contention of Independence, Camarilla, and Sabat. And most of this stuff is contested between them. We'll find out more about that because in, in Dark Colony, they're going to talk about all this stuff, all the wars that, that went on. And for those of you who adore uh, just as little tidbits, here's a little lore for you. Right now on this map, New York's held by the Sabat and it's called a stronghold in 1992 right for those of you who have the book later on you know how that ends up but that's that's where we're at right now in the timeline right that gives you an idea and they're heralded as being new york is starting to rival mexico city right keep that in mind and uh also you'll see montreal very distinctly black as as night uh right. and and that is i would say probably the second stronghold of the sabbat um in and just as interesting in a lot of ways probably more so because it's a little bit more it's a little bit more dark. It's the heart of the Sabbat. A lot of your past, and we'll get into Montreal later, but just know this. the For whatever reason, the past flocked there. Those path adherents, they made churches there. I, I call them churches, but you know what I mean. Right. Those who follow had that lifestyle met and accepted there. Right. That became the Mecca for them. Uh, then we'll move into uh, the bloodlines, and, and these bloodlines are, they are what they are in this book. They're not necessarily going to be that in later incarnations. Uh, we have the Aramane. And we have the Chiasid. And um, interesting. Do you know what Araman means in Zoroastrian myth? I, I actually don't. Devil. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I actually forgot about them as a bloodline. I didn't even because it's not something I've ever really thought to play. And I don't know if they're even really a thing in later incarnations in, in revised edition. They are. The Araman simply put are an offshoot of the Gangrel uh, family. Right. And they're predominantly they're they're all women actually. Yeah, yeah. And what they do is they marry 
and, and I like what White Wolf did here, actually. They had the Gangrel have an animalistic approach to nature. So animism is what we're talking. Right. They, it was founded by a Native American uh, Gangrel who had learned it from the Native peoples. And she just kept it. And for whatever reason, White Wolf just said, yeah, great idea. That's a bloodline. Is it bad? Uh, not really, because it's a very ferocious aspect of what it is, because it's not if you if you have a player who was died in a wool werewolf, I'm all about werewolf, I'm all about werewolf, you know, ask two questions. If it's a guy, you have a problem being a female? No. OK, check this group out because mm-hmm. I think it's going to fit you because there's a lot that you can do with it. And uh, from what I understand, the, the basically the all airmen start as Gangrel. Yes. And then they undergo a ritual to become different exactly than what right are. exactly right and uh they all live in the backwoods and the bayous and <laughs> they're all in the woods and the forest you got it man and then uh the chaos uh, and their, their unique power though is the one thing that their main claim to fame they operate Spiritus. yes yeah. that operates strongly with that now if you've ever been a fan of the kid show braveheart i think i got that right the guy who can call in the spirit of the bear I don't know anything about Eyes that. of the Eagle. I've never heard of anything. <laughs> okay. <even. laughs> okay. Keep it in here for humor's sake, but basically that TV show, you can look it up. I think I got it right. Someone shoot us the question if that's right or wrong, but for the purpose of it, the, a lot of their powers fall in that line because they borrow from aspects of the spirits of animals. Right. And thus that spirit animism to draw their strength to terrifying effect. Someone who can out of the blue develop claws of a bear and come at you swinging with devastating effect. That's pretty cool leap like a jackrabbit and then every time they enact these powers um they actually take on aspects of the animals they call upon so it makes them very unique and strange and is a good encounter even if you have an established group who's used to the original 13 clans this is a good offshoot to kind of throw in there as an npc group yeah definitely fanatic women in the woods you know just living it up in a frenzied fashion and then uh they have the chiasid which they talk about them not actually (laughs) being part of the sabbat um again certain aspects will change but essentially to break it down for you the chiasid are uh alessandra offshoot uh the product of some experimentation and a combination of fey blood with vampires and we get the tall all righty well if you've gotten to this part of the podcast you'll realize that it seems to end quite abruptly for whatever reason our program decided to stop recording and we were unaware of it and continued to talk to each other for like another half an hour. What we're going to do is at the beginning of our next podcast, we're just going to finish up where we left off the last 20 minutes or so of, of this podcast, just kind of rehash it together. And uh, then we'll move on to the next book. So we definitely appreciate you listening. I don't know what happened to it. I don't know how it stopped recording, but it's really weird. And um, hopefully that doesn't happen again. Anyways, thank you for listening. I am Nathan. And for Bob, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah.